0: Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode of the Move to Value podcast, we share the second half of our conversation with CHESS President Dr. Yates Lennon, who reveals the seven pillars of value-based care and the benefit of moving from fee-for-service to fee for value So as you are well aware, at CHESS, we often refer to the seven pillars of value-based care. What are these pillars, and how does each impact fee-for-value?
1: So we've tended to use these um, pillars, if you will, to think about the process. Really, it follows our implementation process in many ways. So I would start with practice transformation. So that involves ensuring that physicians, advanced practice providers, office staff, from CMA to nurses to even front desk staff, has some awareness of value-based care, understand why it's important, and then are engaged in the process of transforming that practice to an infrastructure that supports the delivery of the value-based care models and success in those models, both clinically, which ultimately, is what this is really all about, and financially. From there, you can begin to layer on other um, services or pillars, if you will. These don't necessarily have to happen in this order, but we often start with thinking about quality. Um, Most organizations today have some quality efforts already in place. Uh, Just do... Um, primarily to the fact that CMS and other payers are pushing those, and most people at least have some pay-for-performance type arrangements where they're paid for closing quality care gaps. But quality goes beyond just thinking about closing quality care gaps. For our quality team, we're thinking about optimizing the annual wellness visit so that the template within the EMR is is capturing data points in discrete fields That makes reporting easier back to CMS as well as to the private insurance companies, um, Medicare Advantage, as well as commercial. Um, We think about care coordination, and as we define care coordination, that includes for our team's nurses and CMAs. Uh, They work together to uh, assist also in quality. So the, the CMAs help close quality care gaps throughout the year. They schedule annual wellness visits as a big emphasis in the first half of the year. Um, As you can already tell, that annual wellness visit is a key component of value-based care because it touches on so many different elements of value. But the other role for care coordination would be uh, moving with that patient, tracking that patient, uh, outreaching the patient between uh, transitions of care. So patient is admitted to the hospital, discharge to the skilled nursing facility and then discharge home. Our care coordination teams are monitoring that, tra- that patient as they transition through those different um, sites of service and ensuring that each transition is as safe as possible. We all know that medication errors in particular are a massive problem uh, through transitions of care, so ensuring that patients know what medications they're taking or supposed to be taking and that they can afford those medications. If they can't, then connecting them with the resources to be able to provide those medicines for them. They also perform chronic care management. So that's identifying, so we go back to population health, identifying a group of patients who are either at high risk or rising risk of a complication or um, with a certain disease state, identifying those patients and on a regular basis setting up telephonic or even telehealth outreach to those patients so that between those four office visits a year that a chronic patient might have with a provider in the office, someone is touching base with them throughout the year. I, I, as a clinician, I always think that way that for an average chronic care patient, I might have an hour or two hours a year of face time with a chronic care patient whether that's diabetes, hypertension, the combination of the two, that's really not very much time over the course of a year. And so when you think about the care coordination team being able to touch those patients in between those visits, you really are improving the patient's experience of care. You're extending the provider's reach um, and ability to impact the patient in between those visits. So, So that's a huge component of it. Those are the areas to date that we have largely focused. There are other services that uh, can be provided, but those are kind of our basic building blocks. We also think of another pillar as pharmacy. So at CHESS, we've got a team of clinical pharmacists as well, PharmDs, as well as uh, pharmacy techs. Those folks together as a team are focusing on um, medication Uh, assistance. So again, working with a care coordination team, identifying patients who have trouble affording medicines, trying to ensure that we connect them with resources, whether that's community resources or uh, drug companies that have low-income subsidy programs, grants and foundations, other ways of accessing medications, focusing on medication adherence. So in the quality um, component of the value-based contracts, medication adherence is about half of your quality points in a typical Medicare Advantage contract. Um, they tend to be triple weighted, which means they have even more importance. So it's very uh, it's critical to success that your patients are adhering to their medication regimens so that the team supports that work also. But then going beyond that, um, thinking about groups of patients who, um, or at risk for certain complications with medications. One that always comes to mind first for me was um, something called a, a daily oral anticoagulant report our pharmacy team runs. So looking at patients with uh, a new evidence of renal compromise that would indicate they may need to have their oral anticoagulant adjusted. If uh, that doesn't happen, then that patient's at risk for a gastrointestinal bleed, um, if they f- were to fall it, at risk of an intracranial bleed, those both of those lead to hospitalizations and even worse, um, potentially death. So trying to identify those problems before they ever occur, work with the patient's physician to make a, a dose adjustment in their medications and avoid that downstream negative event. Um, <clears throat> we think of and talk a lot about accurate coding. So... Uh, There's a lot of emphasis on that, has been uh, for several years. Um, It has gotten significant negative press as well. Um, But it is very important that providers are um, accurately and completely documenting, first of all, the patient's conditions, addressing those conditions, and then coding that. That helps align the resources to care for patients with the patient's disease state. Um, But it also, uh, we remind providers constantly that um, in many ways, today the medical record serves multiple purposes. Um, I'm old enough to remember paper charts, and I was writing notes essentially to myself for that next visit. So I knew what I said, I knew what the patient's problem was, and what we talked about. And that note was just for me. But today, it serves multiple other purposes. It's a it's a legal document. It's a financial document. It's a medical document. Uh, so it's, it, a lot more emphasis is placed on that documentation uh, by the physicians and the advanced practice providers. Um, there's, within CHESS, we have an operations team. So if I go back to practice transformation just a second, um, that never is over with implementation, but that's a big focus of implementation in the early uh, phases as we prepare providers to onboard to the services I just discussed Um, that transformation is ongoing. But uh, after a period of time, then our operations team steps in, um, picks up that uh, physician group, and then shepherds them forward through the various contracts, making sure they understand how the contracts work, make sure they understand how care is being delivered to their patients and that the services we are providing are are, um, impacting the patient's care as well as the financial performance within a contract. That that really is implementation passing off and saying to the operations team, here's the ball, you keep going. And then um, I think finally, and this is not, certainly not least, I'm just listing it last, at, at foundation of all of this is data and analytics. So being able to ingest clinical data into a platform, pull in claims data from the payers, as well as data from other sources, so HIEs, health information exchanges, um, ADT feeds through vendors that are, um, have in their possession um, ADT feeds from various hospitals, because we, be, we need to know where our patients are and be able to identify when they hit a facility, especially if it's outside of our network, um, so that we know what's going on and can reach out to that patient in a timely manner. And I think that's the seven pillars. Um, I think you asked me also, so why is it, why are these things important or how do they impact providers and patients? Um, And we can talk more about that in just a moment. But to me, this is work, most of this work is work that does not get done in a fee-for-service environment. Um, They're just not the resources. There's not the infrastructure to support it. So when you do this and do it well, you're improving the patient's experience of care, and you're also improving the provider's experience of care and extending their reach in a way that they would not ordinarily be able to do it um, in a typical office setting. Value-based care is the right thing to do. And I believe this is true because of the impact it has on what I would consider two primary recipients of its benefits. The first is patients. Value-based care puts infrastructure and resources in place to meaningfully impact the quality of patients' lives on a day-in, day-out basis. We hear this consistently through patient stories. The second is the provider, both physicians and advanced practice providers. Value-based care puts infrastructure and resources in place that extends their reach and their influence and impact in their patients' lives and at the end of the day that's what providers of healthcare want is an improved quality of life for their patients
0: so as physicians and health systems begin to undergo the transformation from fee for service to fee for value what questions should they be asking themselves
1: well i think i would start with who are the beneficiaries for whom we are accountable In our prior days in fee-for-service, you didn't really think that way. We were thinking largely about who's on my schedule. Is my schedule full? If it's not full, can we get it full? (laughs) Um, In this new uh, world, we should be thinking about who's not on my schedule that should be. If the patient is um, in a value-based agreement and attributed or assigned to the providers that have the agreement with the payer, then you're responsible for those patients and their cost of care and their quality of care, regardless of whether they come to see you or not. And so I need to know the patients who are not seeing me for whom I am responsible, so that then I can deploy my care teams to reach out, see if we can understand any barriers to seeing that patient, get them in, get them the appropriate care that they need. We just never thought that way in a fee-for-service world. I've alluded to this earlier. The next question to me would be, where are our patients receiving care? Um, We often get the answer, well, I know when patients are discharged from my facility, and that's probably true, but we don't always know when they're discharged from other facilities. It's a blind spot for most health systems. That is improving today, but we need to make sure that we are capturing data points um, to the degree we possibly can to understand that patient's journey through the healthcare system, not just the health system. Um, Because if we don't have insight into that, then we're not able to respond appropriately when they're making their transitions, whether that's hospital-to-home or hospital-to-skilled nursing facility, whatever that may look like. We need to also think about Clinical and cost needs. So what clinical situations do they have that would be driving costly or high-cost care? How can we intervene? Are there behavioral health um, issues or concerns that we may need to address? Um, Do they have poorly controlled diabetes or poorly controlled hypertension so that we get them to the right cost of care, the right sites of low cost of care to intervene? Um, Taking that a step further, what beneficiaries are at at current or future risk of complications that could lead to high cost spend. And then um, understanding what gaps in care exist for patients. That might be screening tests that are open that could be uh, disease state management. A1C, hemoglobin A1C is a great example of that. But it could also be patients lost to follow-up. Patient doesn't have the ability to aff- afford their medications. So addressing, identifying, and addressing those gaps in care, whatever they might look like, um, is another important question that we need to ask as we sort of sh- take that shift and shift our mindset over to a new set of questions. Just um, in summary, you know, uh, understanding where care is received, not just within our system. Integrating that clinical and financial data together so we have a 360 view of the patient. And then beginning to use that to do some predictive modeling, both clinical and financial. Dr. Yates-Lennon, thank you for joining us on the Move to Value podcast today. Thomas, thank you. It's been my pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you're interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.